This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, and uh, we are on the downslope. <laughs> Five chapters in the book of 1 Peter. We've got the first three down. We are now in chapter 4, and there's not that far to go. Um, Let's remember where we've been. Um, We live in a hostile world. We are strangers and aliens. We belong to Jesus and we follow a king that is in heaven, seated, ruling over everything. And we're citizens of his kingdom, which will one day break in whenever he comes again. Um. But in the meantime, we live in a hostile world. We live in a world full of people who are hostile to the gospel. We also live in a world that is still broken by the effects of the fall. We experience sickness, pain, disease, and death. So we live in the midst of a hostile world. But we have much to rejoice about. He has caused us to be born again. Amen. Amen. He has a future hope for us. He holds on to us when we don't feel like we can hold on any longer. So much of the book of 1 Peter has been about how we experience suffering. And the last week I was with you, we talked about Jesus' suffering about how His suffering was the pathway to glory. The text we're going to look at today is, since Jesus, He suffered, then we ought to arm ourselves. That's military terminology. We've got to put on the armor, kind of like Ephesians chapter 6. We've got to arm ourselves with the intention that Jesus had to suffer. So let's go ahead and look at our text. Beginning in verse 1. It says, therefore, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of his life, his time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, uh, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us to receive your word. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts. May we feed on your word. 
And may it enable us to live the way you've called us to live. Give us strength in the midst of our suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. Here, Peter tells us, since Christ suffered in the flesh. He's referring back to what we talked about last time I was here. Last time, Christ suffered in the flesh, once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Uh, that's, that's what we looked at last time, about how his suffering was the pathway to glory. And now, the logic here in this text is, since Christ suffered in the flesh, then we are to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. To arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. We've got to put on the armor. We, we know from Ephesians chapter 6 that there is an armor of God. You know, we put on the helmet of salvation. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. We put on the belt of truth. We put on uh, the feet that are shod for the preparation of the gospel of peace. And Peter here tells us another part of the armor. He tells us we're to arm ourselves with thinking like Jesus thought. And specifically about suffering. Jesus thought in this, in this text, he, he, the way he thought, the way he um, intended for himself is he embraced suffering. And so this, this new piece of the armor that we're to put on is we are to embrace suffering. We're going to suffer. Jesus promised us two things at least. He promised we would be blessed and he promised that the world would hate us. Amen? Hey, and and, and we, we, we need to embrace that suffering. Now, it's not like we need to go out and look for it. It'll find us, right? We don't have to, have to go out and, and, uh, and find something to uh, uh, purposefully suffer. It'll find us. Cancer. Coronavirus. Government hostility. All of those things, they'll find us. We don't have to go out and look for it. But what we can do is we need to brace ourselves. We need to arm ourselves with this intention. We need to embrace it like Jesus did. And here he tells us why. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. This seems kind of strange. Does that mean... If we suffer, that somehow we're transformed into being sinlessly perfect? I don't think that's what that means. But I think uh, what it does show us is that someone who arms themselves with this intention, who are, is ready to suffer for the sake of the gospel, to suffer for Jesus' name, has made a clean break with their old way of living. We live in a hostile world, right? We live in a world where people think we are hateful if we stand for what the Bible says about morality and about gender. And, and if we embrace that suffering as this is just what it means to follow Jesus, then it shows we don't care about that old way of living. We've made a break with that. We're, gonna, we're going to follow Jesus and take up our cross, aren't we? I think that's 
That's what that's saying here. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. They've made a clean break with it. They're no longer living like they used to live, but instead they are ready to take on whatever suffering comes their way, if if that's what it means to follow Jesus. So as to live the rest of their time in the flesh, no longer following, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Our new lives as we follow Jesus, we're not living for the things we used to long for, feeding our own appetites, just living for pleasure. But now we live for the will of God. Here, the next verse, verse 3 says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. That word for want is, uh, is is built off of the same kind of Greek word as The will. So there's the will of God and there's the will of the Gentiles. He's contrasting these two things. Um, When it comes to the will of the Gentiles, what Gentiles want to do, here he's not talking about ethnically Gentile people like all of us. (laughs) He's talking there, uh, I think metaphorically, about unbelievers. Unbelievers. Uh, It's not talking about, about... Ethnically, but he's talking about unbelievers. So um, the way we lived before we started following Jesus, that's enough. We don't have to live that way any longer. That was enough. Instead, we're going to follow after the will of God instead of what the will of the unbelieving world is. Verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised when you... Oh, wait. I mean, I skipped part. For the time already passed for, uh, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And this is what characterizes what the unbelieving world wants to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Just following after. Whatever feels good, do it, right? That, that's, that's what characterizes the world. Uh, just... Uh, not only, I mean, it talks here about drunkenness, right? Doesn't say drinking, <laughs> and, uh, and and I think that's a, an area of, of Christian liberty. I personally am a teetotaler, but uh, uh, Jesus made wine at the at the first miracle. But drunkenness, just giving yourself over to it into to a way and where it where it uh, causes you to no longer have full grasp of your senses. Drinking parties. Um, and then the final thing I think that he says here in this list is the, is, the, is the high point. Lawless idolatry. Every other sin boils down to idolatry. Something else is in God's place. Something else. We are, we are seeking, we are worshiping something other than God in idolatry. And that's, that's what the unbelieving world does. And that's really what all of us do at heart, apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit within us. Well, we don't have like what I saw whenever I visited India. I went there back in 97 and again in 99. There were villages that I visited where the people made bricks and they would worship them. They'd be their idols. 
There'd be bricks sitting around. We don't do that here. It's not the way... Now, maybe you, you might know somebody who is from another culture who's moved here, and you might go into their home and find some kind of idol that they have set up. But what we're prone to do is to worship the self, to worship our appetites, to put them in the place of what God should be. Or we worship, we put in God's place status, having the best cars, having the, the best of, of whatever it is that we desire. We seek after status, we seek after fame, we seek after sex. All of these things we put in God's place and that's what is, comes natural to the world. Peter here is telling us the time for that is over. The time for that is over. We no longer are going to go after the things that the, that the world wants to go after, but instead we're going to go after the will of God. We want to live for the will of God. And the world is surprised at it. They're surprised. Verse 4 says, With respect to this, they are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. People look at us as Christians who stand on a biblical morality and they're surprised that we don't want to join them. You say you're a Christian, you're supposed to be all loving. And they tell us how hateful we are because we don't accept that a man can be a woman or the vice versa. And they malign us. They, 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 and this is the kind of suffering we need to brace ourselves for. The world looking at us are going to tell us we're hateful, we're bigots because we just believe what the Word of God says. We need to arm ourselves, be ready for it, brace ourselves for that kind of suffering. Verse 5 says, But they will give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In this life, it's hostile. In this life, we're going to be maligned and we're going to suffer, but here we're reminded they will give an account and we will be vindicated. Amen? They will stand before God one day. Now, the attitude of our heart when we hear this should not be to look at the unbelievers and say, well, yeah, you say it now, but just wait, you're going to get it someday. <laughs> That's not the way we approach the unbelieving world. But instead, it is meant for a comfort for us. In the midst of the hostility that we face, in the midst of the suffering that we arm ourselves for, we can have the comfort of knowing one day they'll stand before God. They'll stand before the judgment seat and we'll be vindicated. The truth will be shown. Verse 5. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. This seems kind of strange to us, doesn't it? 
the gospel was preached to those who were dead? What does that mean? Now, I've heard of a seminary professor that took his preaching class out to a seminary, a cemetery, <laughs> out to a cemetery, and the, and the students had to preach there in front of the graves. Because sometimes that's what it's like preaching to a church. <laughs> well, actually, that's what it's like preaching to the lost. That's what it's like preaching to the lost. Um, the Bible tells us in Ephesians, before we knew Jesus, we were dead in our trespasses and sins and unable to do anything to save ourselves. And it was God who breathed life into us. But I don't think that's necessarily what it's talking about here. I think that's, that's a truth. But I don't think that's what's a, what it's talking about here. Some have looked at this and thought maybe this has to do with what Peter was talking about in the last passage. Peter had talked in the last passage we looked at, the last time I was here, about um, how Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits now in prison. And they think, well, maybe it's, it's uh, when that, let's talk about that, whenever Jesus went and proclaimed. But I think that's something different as well. And in particular, it, it says, um, when it says Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits now in prison, it's that general world, word for heralding. Um, and here it says the gospel was preached. Some have thought maybe this is some kind of an after-death opportunity to accept Jesus after, after death. But I, I don't think that fits with the rest of the Bible. Hebrews says that um, it's appointed for a man once to die and after that the judgment. The Bible has to stay consistent with itself. And so what does this mean? I think what that means is, see, the early church, they understood Jesus taught that we would have eternal life. We would have eternal life if we believed in Him. And with all these Christians talking about eternal life, the, the, the unbelieving world that didn't understand, they looked at Him and said, wait, you're talking about eternal life, but then some of you Christians have died. What, what use is this hope in Jesus if some of you are still dying? And Peter here explains. It's for this reason why the gospel was preached to those who were dead. Who are now dead. They were alive when they heard the gospel. They believed. They, they, they are Christians. They have a hope of eternal life. Yet physically, they died. Like most of us probably will. Unless Jesus comes before then. And so this is why the gospel was preached to those who came before us, to those who have, have believed, but who've already died and already are in his presence right now, so that though they died in the flesh, the way people do, they may live in the spirit the way God does. I think that makes the most sense here. This is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead. The unbelieving world, they don't understand it. Ah, oh, eternal life? What do you mean? Those people didn't, didn't die forever. They had the same hope that we talked about in chapter 1. They had that hope that one day Jesus is coming again. He is going to set everything right. Our bodies will be raised from the dead. The, the tombs are going to open. 
Those caskets are going to flip open and, and we're going to, it's not going to be like the walking dead. I promise you. <laughs> It'll be better. We'll be raised to a new life with new renewed bodies that are better than the ones we have now where there's no longer any arthritis, no longer any cancer, no longer any sickness, no longer anything. He's, gonna, he's going to wipe every tear from every eye and we'll be with Him. So to summarize, arm yourselves with the intention to suffer. Arm yourselves with that intention because that's what this life holds. Knowing that when you face ridicule, when you face suffering of any kind, one day Jesus will come and He'll separate the sheep from the goats. Those who have maligned us, they will stand before the judge and we will be vindicated and we will live forever with Him. Amen. Amen.